Hello, and welcome to Art After Dark. I'm your host, Maddie. And I'm your other host, Natalie. So, Natalie, how was your week this week? <laughs> my week was pretty good. I'd say my high was probably the election. Results. Oh, yeah. Can I say that? Is that allowed? <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course you can. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm glad the... It'll be nice for out. a change. Yes. For sure. It'll be refreshing. Oh, for sure. To say the least. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a really good day. Um, for sure. Yo, yo, what about you? What was your high? Uh, well, actually, on election night, me and Jack got more engagement photos done because we booked our photographer for the wedding and um she does a free engagement photo shoot. So we planned like a kind of spooky Halloween-esque style engagement photo shoot so i put on like a morticia adams style Uh dress and he put on these like really cute suspenders and it was just really fun Mm -hmm. um so yeah that was probably my high and also so i've been trying to put together like my little dream office which basically is going to be this big l-shaped desk Mm -hmm. that i'm like buying the pieces from ikea for so it's been really challenging buying desk stuff right now because I think everybody's working from home. So yeah. it's just going really fast. But I finally got my Alex drawers from Ikea and I'm super pumped about it. Nice. So, yeah, thank God for Jack because he's been putting them together. And Ikea furniture is, I've heard, really annoying. Well, to they don't put give you any like words. It's just pictures. Yeah, you know? exactly. And it's like, ugh. I don't know. Yeah, I remember you looking at those drawers when we were at Ikea getting Joe's office chair. Oh, yeah. So I'm glad you finally got them. I know. I've wanted them for a long time. So, so yeah, it's it's nice that it's coming together. That's and then, good. So what was your low this week? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good thing. You don't have to have um, a low. I think it... I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's just school. It's too much right now, man. Yeah. But I just had this, like, really huge project where I had to make an animated music video. Oh, sweet. Yeah, it was really fun, but at the same time, it was, like, it was a really big project, so it was kind of a high stressor for me. Yeah. But I did finally get it done, so. That's always a really good feeling. Yeah. Like, just that stress relief when you turn it in. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm feeling good about that, but yeah, that was definitely, like, a stressor this week. Yeah. What about your low? Oh, God. So, something really bad happened, actually. Oh, no. Yeah. So, we, um, if you've been listening, me and Jack just moved into our new place, and before, at our old place, we were having a lot of bad luck and a lot of specifically car issues. Oh, no. Yeah. And so we oh. moved into our new place, ready to, like, you know, turn a new leaf. And all of a sudden, Jack's driving to work on Friday, and his car makes a weird noise. No. And he starts leaking oil all over the highway. Oh. Yeah. Been and the there. engine started smoking and everything. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, my God. Yeah. So, yeah, he pulled over on the side of the highway, and I had to come get him. And we oh. towed the truck back to our place. And he's, like, pretty handy, so he, like, jacked it up and was investigating it, and he said that he literally saw a fist-sized hole through the engine, so, yeah. Oh, man. The engine just, like, blew. 
which sucks. That's really scary. There's yeah. nothing scarier than driving and then seeing, like, the front of your car start I know, smoking. right? It is terrifying. I know. I felt really bad for him. And he's still, so he got this car not that long ago, and so it's still under a loan. And <sighs> so he still owes quite a bit of money on it, and he can't even drive it. It's, like, totally done. Oh, so, my gosh. Yeah. And it's, it's just probably not worth ugh. fixing or what? Well, so the the price that it would take yeah, to it's worth replace more. the engine is the same amount it is to just pay it off. So it's it doesn't even make sense to do it at this point. He he's gonna totally. get a new car, but yeah. it just really sucks. good. I'm glad he's gonna get a new car. Because yeah. you have you been since you got your new car, have you been having any issues? With I that? haven't had any issues, but he drives yeah. me and him got the same exact car around the same exact time. He had a little bit more miles than I did, but it's kind of scaring me now because I'm like, oh, sh- I don't want it to happen to my car. Oh my gosh. So that's like just what we need right now. That's kind of cool that you guys had the same car <laughs> I though. I know. I'm going to miss having, yeah, mine's black and his is white and it's, they're both like just two cute little Hyundais. And oh, so yeah. I'm going to miss having matching cars, I will yeah. say. But, oh, it just blows. Yeah, there's nothing worse than car issues. I am no stranger to car issues. But. Yeah. Oh, your car. I remember we were hanging out oh, not God. that long ago and you were leaving <laughs> the parking lot and your gas tank burst. It fell off. It just fell off the bottom of my truck. <laughs> and then I barely made it into the parking lot before... My car just died because obviously it needs gas to run and the gas was all over the oh, place. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I had to call the fire department to come and put like stuff on it to like absorb it. Yeah, but I'm so thankful that happened because I was already like wanting a new car and I love my car now. Oh I yeah, love my your new car's car is so cute. Yeah, it's so nice. So. I love it. Yeah, I so that actually happened to me too with my old car that I got rid of yeah. actually. It like, I was at the gas station, just like two blocks from my house and I was filling up with gas and all of a sudden I feel something cool touch my feet and I look down (gasps) and I see a gas puddle like forming under my car. And so I'm like, oh my God, no, like I cannot have my car die here. Like I at least need to get it home. So I jump in the driver's seat and I whip it out of the parking lot and then the the two blocks down the road to my house and I get it in the driveway. And I was looking through my rearview mirror and I could just see the trail of gas. And I lived in the neighborhood with like a ton of little kids playing outside. No. So I was like, this is not good. This is really bad. Like it'll take one spark and I could burn down the whole neighborhood. So yeah, I had to call the police or the well, yeah. firefighters and too. That's how I knew to do that because um, yeah, you I didn't know. Like, what should I do? I'm like, I was call like, the firefighters. Yeah, I, I like sent you a snap and I was like, guess what happened on my way yeah. home because <laughs> we literally we just got lunch or something yeah and um yeah <laughs> yeah so i've been there it sucks car yeah. issues always suck but hopefully he'll get something he likes better you yeah. know on the positive you know silver lining side yeah i think that's always definitely like a, a plus you know yeah it's there's nothing worse than car trouble but then when you get a new car it's like oh yes. oh yeah it's always nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So I have to make a comment really quick before we jump into the dark topic this week. Mm-hmm. So last week you covered the story of Richard Chase, the vampire killer of Sacramento. Yeah. And it was um, 
Oh my gosh, you were asking me earlier if I'd been thinking about it this week. And every single time, if you listen to the last episode, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But every single time I've locked my door, even if it's only been for like a second and I'm coming right back, I've thought of Richard Chase. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm definitely a little scarred. Even if it's that. just like an abstract thought, like, oh, somebody could, you know, yeah. it, it stems from that. You know what I mean? Oh, God. Yeah. And this story today is not going to make you feel any better. So. Great. Yeah. It's good. But um, so when you were talking about Richard Chase, he made these really disgusting smoothies. And my friend Abby, who listens to the show, mm-hmm. shout out to Abby. Um, she messaged me after that episode came out last week and I'll read what she said. <laughs> she said, I've been thinking about that intestine and Coca-Cola smoothie since yesterday. And I feel like the texture would get me more than the smell. <laughs> I imagine it being like that pink goo from Teletubbies, but chunkier. <laughs> <laughs> tubby custard. Yeah. Tubby custard. <laughs> oh my God. Because oh. I've been thinking about that smoothie all week, too. Well, yeah, and then it also bicarbonated. I know. I haven't been able to have a... Sp- I usually eat, like, a lot of smoothies, but not this week because I just need to oh. take a break after that story. I just think of, too, like, at the end of that story when the when they were inspecting his apartment and they found, like, their rotten, like, organs in the blender. Oh, God, yeah. Like, that's just, like, even worse. I just, like... <laughs> I don't know. Like, I can't even totally imagine insane. the smell. I know. Yeah, they said it was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. But so the story this week doesn't involve cannibalism. Well, hold on. You are jumping oh way too Oh, my God. Far. You know what? Girl. I need to apologize because I always get so excited and I want to, <laughs> I always skip pa- past the artist death of the day. We got two today. Oh, okay. So what do we have? So we have, of course, a Dutch landscape painter. All good painters, I feel like, are Dutch. I don't know why. You know? Mango is Dutch, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, his name was Ert van der Neer. Ert van der Neer? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Very Dutch. All right. Um, and he died at 73. And then we have Israel Bach, who died in 1874 on this day, and he created the first Hebrew printing press. Oh, the first Hebrew printing press. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and well, we'll be talking about the um, invention of the first printing press later. So I thought that was cool that he oh. died on this day because I was like, "Ooh, that kind of relates later," but not Hebrew. But yeah, yeah, but it was time later. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, rest okay, now go in ahead. peace, guys. Rest in peace, babies. <laughs> so today, um, I'll be covering the dark topic, obviously, and I'm really excited to talk about what's called the weepy voiced killer i'm scared yeah have you heard of this person before no not that i know of unless it's something i'm thinking of, but i don't think it is good <laughs> I, i'll be happy if you don't know this one because i don't think i do i really want to get your reaction because so this is the story of um a terrifying serial killer from the 1980s of and It's a serial killer that is known for committing murders, and then he actually calls the police on himself, which, when does that ever happen? And he leaves these really creepy messages where he, like, apologizes for the crimes, and he, like, talks about details of the murders. Oh, it kind of reminds me of the lipstick killer. Have you heard of that? I think so. Faintly. It sounds familiar. Didn't he, like, um write messages in lipstick saying like please oh, stop gosh. me please find me before i kill again like, yeah that's like that's definitely like what i'm going to be talking yeah. about today except we actually so i have the actual audio and usually we can't really play much on here because of copyright reasons but this is just his 911 calls which is public record 
information. So it's going to be fun to get your reaction. Yeah. And I just have to say 911 calls are one thing that really freaks me out. So like hearing the actual. Yeah. It makes me feel like, oh, I don't know, dude. Well, it also will be more relatable, not just because we're listening to the actual 911 calls, but this also takes place right here in the Twin Cities no. of Minnesota. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're going to be driving home. We live in the cities, uh. by the way. So you're going to be driving home tonight thinking of this. So. Oh, I'm staying the night. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's a good one. That's another reason why I really wanted to talk about this. Also, I've covered like supernatural <sighs> stuff and like past life stories. But I haven't covered too many true crime cases yet, so yeah, I like that about our dynamic because yeah. I've covered a lot of true crime it's stories. It's a little bit of you know everything. We yeah. we both get a chance to switch it up, so yeah, so yeah, yeah this takes place in the Twin Cities, Ugh. and so if you are not familiar with the Twin Cities, uh, most of our listeners are from Minnesota, but some of you aren't. Um, the Twin Cities in Minnesota is basically our two major ci- uh, cities. They're right next to each other, and it's St. Paul and Minneapolis. So it's referred to as the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that. So anyways, let's go ahead and begin. So this story begins on New Year's Eve, 1980, in Twin Cities. And everybody on this night is out celebrating and ringing in the new year, including 20-year-old university student no. Karen Potak. Oh. And she will become honey. the first victim to the Whippy Voiced Killer. So she was out that night partying with her sisters and a few friends in the St. Paul area. And they were having a really great time and nothing seemed off. And they stayed out until bar closed at 1 a.m. And so as they were leaving the bar, Karen's sisters and their friends all of a sudden noticed that Karen was no longer with their group. And Karen was supposedly seen leaving the club by herself in her very intoxicated drunk state just walking down the street. And she actually was said to still have a drink in her hand. So she wasn't in a good state of mind. Um, So yeah, aside from that being really dangerous in itself, like a solo person, especially a woman who is intoxicated, should never wander off on her own. Especially in a big city late at night. So that's terrifying in itself. But also if you're not from Minnesota, it gets really cold that time of year. And it was Mm -hmm. really cold that night and she didn't have a jacket. And literally people in Minnesota, there's stories of people getting drunk and passing on the snow and dying from freezing to death. So that was another dangerous part of this whole situation. Oof, what a way to go, wandering. honestly. I know. That's oh, so awful. Terrible. Like one minute you're just partying and having fun and the next minute, like... The next minute you can't find your friend. But they didn't yeah. really um, take it too seriously at first. They thought, you know, maybe she'll meet up with us back you know, at our place. Mm-hmm. So, and the road that Karen was walking oh, down was I pretty just, busy. Ugh, never, never assume that. Just. I, I am just like a side note. I'm such a paranoid person oh, that I when I am going out in the cities, I would never do something like this, first of all. And I'm also looking over my shoulders 24 seven, like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm very paranoid about stuff like this happening yeah and oh my gosh the 80s so it's not like they could just send her a text or something yeah that's a really good or look point. on snap map oh see where totally because i have my location shared with like people closest to me yeah and i'll text them even if i'm going somewhere a little sketchy and be like hey 
this is where I am. Yeah, like, if I'm getting something off, like, Craigslist or something, yeah. I tell, like, at least three people yeah. the address and the name of the person. You literally did that not too long ago. I did, yeah. <laughs> when I, back when I got Ring Fit Adventure. <laughs> Which is super smart. So, and this story is going to make you want to be good about doing that. But anyways, um, so Karen wanders off on her own. And she's wandering down the street. And it's a really busy street because everybody's, like, getting in taxis after bar clothes. Um, but eventually Karen found herself alone down an alleyway, except there was one other car. And in this car was a man just kind of observing her walking down the street. Mm-hmm. And the driver noticed Karen was obviously not in a good state of mind and she had no jacket on. So feeling sorry for her, he offers her a ride. And Karen, being drunk and cold, just agrees to this. And she's thankful for the ride. And then two hours later at 3 a.m., the police receive this call. And I'm going to play the audio for you. So, oh God, here we go. Yeah. So they receive that call. And what is your first impression, I just have to ask, of his voice? It sounds like Buffalo Bill. Oh, my gosh. Doesn't it? I didn't think of that, but it does kind of have that. It has this, like, weird theatrical sound. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't even sound like a real voice. Wait, is this guy still alive? We'll get to that. You'll see, well, you'll know by the end of the story. Oh, okay. But, um, well, I don't want to make fun of him too much if he's still alive. Oh, don't worry about making fun of him. This is a guy's a not good guy, obviously. I know. What if he came after me? Oh, gosh. This is in Minnesota, girl. Uh, it is in Minnesota. Yeah. But so the police get that call. Oh, I just, it gives me the chills. And there's many more clips of calls like that to come. So when police arrived at, um, so I have to say really quick, if you couldn't hear, um the video or the audio yeah it was kind of a little distorted yeah, i'll paraphrase as a most 911 bit. calls can be yeah so he's saying um yes please this is an emergency please send a squad car too and then he gives the address it's pierce butler road Malberg manufacturing company and that's a machine shop pierce butler road i know where that is i think are you serious isn't that in like st louis pa- oh no, no. it's said- in the st paul area oh you said st paul okay never mind but that's another element of sharing the story. We're going to know certain places that I'm going to bring up. So it's another weird uh, I thought he said tie. he didn't know the address. Um, no. Oh, oh, he, he's, he, let, I know, his voice. <laughs> it did kind of sound sorry, like that. Sorry. But he, like, says, please send a squad car. And he gives the address. And it's this machine shop. And he says, please send, please send an ambulance, too. There's a girl hurt there. And he finishes with, just hurry, she's laying on the ground in the back by the railroad tracks by the engine room, hurry. And then he hangs up. So police have the address, and so they just go check it out. And when they arrive at the scene, they quickly see Karen Potax naked and brutalized on oh. the ground, you know, but on a snowbank right by the railroad, just like the call said. And so upon investigating her body, it was determined that the object that brutalized her was a tire iron, and she had been beaten so badly on the head that her skull cracked and fractured into multiple pieces. Oh. 
Oh, so, so sad. Karen. And oh, Karen is Karen. Oh, Karen rest in peace, Karen. Well, she, well, wait a moment. Oh, so, oh. I know. So, Karen was rushed by ambulance to the hospital, and they actually performed an emergency surgery, and Karen unbelievably survived the attack. Oh, my God. I know. Can you imagine? Thank but God. she, like, thank God. they thought she was dead when they came up to the scene. She was unconscious. Yeah. Oh, but my gosh. Thank God. And yeah. in the snowbank, like, just like, yeah. like. Oh, so scary. Oh. And so she was beaten so badly that she actually had memory loss of the attack, which in a way, if you think about it, it's like, at least she doesn't have to remember that horrible experience. And think about it all the exactly. time. Well, I mean, I'm sure she still thinks about it, but like. At least she doesn't remember the details because that would be so hard, I yeah. feel. But it, that also was kind of a negative thing because it made it hard for the investigators to kind of get more info on this case. Yeah. Well, and oh gosh, especially like waking up naked or she, they found her naked, yeah, you know, like was it was like, obviously like a sexual motivated attack. Like, crime. I think so. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, like if they did a rape kit and it tested negative yeah. or whatever, I don't know how they do that. It has to be sexually motivated. It has to. If, it, if she's naked, like there's totally. some type of sexual and I don't have information if she was sexually assaulted, but I mean, she was found naked. So take that for what you will. But it was really hard too because there's also no physical evidence or any witnesses at the crime scene. So the police were just kind of stumped and the case grew cold. Ugh. All right. So then fast forward to five months, only five months. And this is now June 3rd of 1981. Okay. And the police receive another terrifying phone call. And so I'll play this for you. Hello. Yeah. I'm sorry. It doesn't sound like it's very jarring. But it's like, ooh. Yeah. So if you didn't hear what he said, he said, "Will you, goddamn, excuse me, the language? (laughs) (laughs) I sound so nerdy." I don't know how people get offended at that, but he said, will you find, G-Ding, find me. And he said, I just stabbed somebody with an ice pick. I can't stop myself. I keep killing somebody. Oh, that's just like, he really sounds remorseful and like he's weeping and he sounds like like a little kid. I don't know, man. I know. That's the part of this whole story that really gets me. Like some people are just murderous and it seems like they can't even control their impulses. Anyways, it's just... That call is super creepy. But this time, if you notice, the caller didn't leave the details on where to find the body. He just said that the body was stabbed with an ice pick. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. Right. And so the police didn't immediately link this call with the one received five months earlier mm-hmm. with Karen Potak. Um, but eventually they did because of the weird voice and the, you know, the um, content and what they were saying and the details. But at first they thought it was just like a prank call. So it took a moment for them to take it seriously. It's never a prank. Why yeah. assume that? Same with the Mary Bell note that they found. Oh, like, that's a good not, uh, point. Not Gutenbronken. It's not Gutenbronken. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, but it didn't take them long to realize that it wasn't a prank because only a few hours after this call came in, the call I just played, mm-hmm. um, a group of teenage boys were hanging out in this wooded area oh, right no. off the freeway. Yeah, and they came across a mangled female body laying face down. Naked. And so um, she actually wasn't naked okay. in this instance from what I've read. 
Can you imagine being a teenager? You're just hanging out with your friends in the woods. And you see and, that? Oh, that would forever uh, change your life. Yeah. Honestly. Um, but this was the body of 18-year-old Kimberly Compton. Mm-hmm. And she was a student from Wisconsin. And she was visiting the Twin Cities because she had just graduated from high school. So she had her whole life ahead of her. She was mm-hmm. only 18. and So sad. Yeah. And she was from like a relatively small Wisconsin town. And she decided that after graduation, she wanted to move to the cities to kind of like explore more of what she wanted out of life. And she was checking out St. Paul, Minnesota for her next big step. Oh, I know. Girl. And I just made a little side note. So um, my family is from the city area of Minnesota, like my mom's side, but my dad's side is from like, they live in small towns in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, you know, visited my dad and, you know, experienced that and also lived in the city area. Mm-hmm. But like, I personally know a handful of people just like Kimberly, who just were from Wisconsin and dreamed of moving to the Twin Cities. So it just, it makes yeah. me really sad. Especially in the St. Paul. I have a lot of friends in the St. Paul area. You yeah. know what I mean? Just like starting life. And so the autopsy on her body, because she was murdered in this instance, um, determined that she was initially strangled with a shoelace, but this wasn't her cause of death. So the cause of death, just like the caller had said, she had been stabbed a total of 61 times (gasps) and the wounds matched that of what an ice pick would be. So matching the phone call. Oh my goodness. Right. And she had died like a horrible, painful death. And she actually died from bleeding out from the stab wounds. Oh, girl. Yeah. Rest in peace. Oh my gosh. So, so sad. It's like when you compare that to, you know, Richard Chase, obviously Richard Chase did some like mess up stuff, Mm -hmm. but what he did was he shot them. Yeah. He didn't really So they didn't didn't suffer. I mean, Ugh, the, it, I just can't. The mutilation imagine. of a body is like, you know, suffering in a way, you know, because it's like whatever. But right, so but like they didn't have to feel it exactly. You know? She, this girl, had to. She feel went through this. it, and yeah. to think of it from like a detective's perspective, this seems like really personal. Like I agree, you know, just especially like stabbing s- so much. Strangling is like one of the most like personal ways to kill. Yeah, someone. because I mean, I know she didn't die face. from that, but like. Totally. And also, okay, tie, we got a tire iron, shoelace, and an ice pick. Like, these are weird weapons. It seems very impulsive. Like, yeah, he, he just grabs whatever he can find. and Exactly. So, she was ultimately killed. And the wounds, the ice pick, I don't believe was found, but the wounds matched that of an ice pick. Okay. So, he she... He probably had it with him still. Yeah, it was probably an opportunistic kill, is what I'm guessing. Ugh. Um. But Kimberly had actually, she had actually only died hours of arriving in St. Paul, which is nuts. So she had actually, she decided to move to St. Paul and she'd gotten on a Greyhound bus at 18 years old. And when she arrived to St. Paul, she, uh, she first paid for a, a locker to put her suitcases in at the bus station. So she pays for a locker and then she decides that she's hungry and she wants to find something to eat. And right outside of this bus station in St. Paul, is Mickey's Diner. Have you ever heard of Mickey's Diner before? I feel like I've eaten there before, honestly. Yeah, I feel like I have too. Um, but yeah, so she, Sounds if you're familiar, familiar with the area, Mickey's Diner in St. Paul is where um, she went to right off getting off the bus. Um, so Kimberly goes to Mickey's Diner and she ordered a meal and was sitting in this booth by herself just eating her lunch. 
and she attracted the attention of another male customer who saw that she was sitting alone and decided to come and be friendly with her and keep her company and sit and eat with her, which I like have gotten, I've gotten out to eat by myself before. If I'm out to eat by myself, I want to be by myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I hate when people think like, I don't know, that's just me maybe being antisocial, but. No, I agree. It's like, I'm by myself right now. Like, yeah. Leave me be. I don't know. Yeah. Especially like, well, this isn't, isn't during a pandemic, but I was going to say nowadays when people get too close to you, it's mm. sad, but it's like, I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, so Kimberly um, was in this booth alone. This guy comes and eats lunch with her and Kimberly got on to telling him about how she was new in town and this man wanted to be welcoming and he offered to drive her around the city um, to help her kind of get acquainted with St. Paul and show her like the biggest sights to see. So she agreed to this and the two were seen leaving the diner together. And only two hours later is when the police received that second call that I just played mm-hmm. with the man saying he killed someone with an ice pick. So the police decided to try and trace the 911 call and they were able to trace the call to a payphone right near Mickey's diner. But obviously by the time they get to the payphone, there's no one still there. And there's no witnesses again. So it's going to be challenging again to figure out who did this. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kimberly's things were still in the bus station storage locker. And that's where her ID was. So at first it was hard to identify her body. But eventually when they were doing the autopsy, they found her locker keys on her. So mm-hmm. they go to the bus station, retrieve her things, and that's okay. how they identify her. Um, And I thought this part's really gross, but it's fascinating at the same time. So when medical examiners were conducting her autopsy, they actually cut into her stomach and looked at her stomach contents. To see what she ate. Yeah, Yeah. because a lot of times seeing what the victim last ate can give clues to help kind of piece together their final Mm -hmm. moments. Um, So they determined that her last meal was beef and fries. And this, it was interesting to investigators because... Kimberly had literally just arrived to the city within hours. And so she grabbed her first meal just shortly after arriving right before she died. Right. And the special at Mickey's Diner happened to be barbecue beef and fries on the day of Kimberly's murder. So mm-hmm. this is how they kind of knew that this Mickey's. happened. Yeah. yeah. And, and the phone call was, you know, at a payphone right, right by there too. Exactly. So it just all fit together, you know. Uh-huh. So it wasn't that hard to kind of piece together her whereabouts. So once they went to Mickey's Diner, you know, she was new in town and people didn't recognize her yet. But they asked the employees, they showed a picture and they asked if they saw her. And they all said that they saw her and recounted that she was eating alone and the stranger joined her. And then eventually they left together. Um, So that's all the information they were able to conclude. And so the police were kind of stumped yet again. And this didn't really lead anywhere. So then two days after Kimberly's murder, police receive another phone call. Mm. So this will be the third clip that I play. Oh, uh, so I'll paraphrase really quick. Oh, 
So he calls and he just says, don't talk, just listen. I'm sorry for what I did to Compton, as in Kimberly Compton. Mm -hmm. I couldn't help it. Don't know why I had to stab her. I'm so upset about it. I keep getting drunk every night. I can't believe I did it. Big dream. I can't think of being locked up. If I get locked up, I'll kill myself. I'd rather kill myself than get locked up. I'll try not to kill anybody else. And then he hangs up. Uh, Yeah. I don't like that. I know. So the police were at a loss with this. So they decide to just release the police phone calls to the media and hope somebody would recognize the voice. But this became just like a bad idea because hundreds of people called in all saying like, I know that voice and it's so-and-so. And it led them down this rabbit hole of all of these different leads mm. and it led to nowhere. Um, so then in 1981, and this is now two months after the murder of Kimberly Compton, mm-hmm. police started investigating this local man named Alan Lopez. And he actually murdered his whole family and he was deemed to be unstable and sent to this mental ward. So police started investigating Alan Lopez because on the day that he murdered his whole family, the police were held up outside his residence with guns drawn and, you know, plotting how to approach him. And Alan Lopez was having like a mental breakdown and he was shouting out the window that he was the one that murdered Kimberly Compton. Hmm. So that led the police thinking that maybe he was also responsible for Karen Potak's attack Mm -hmm. with the tire iron because they already linked these two cases with the calls and the similarity in the victims. So the police never got the chance to formally interview this guy, though, because he was sent to the mental hospital after killing his whole family. And he actually committed suicide just days after arriving um, and that makes me think of that one call he was saying, if I'd I rather kill up, myself, I'd kill myself. Yeah. Right. So that made me think like, maybe it is him that committed these murders. But when the police looked into Alan's whereabouts, they realized that Alan was in a mental hospital on the night of Karen Potak's mm. attack. Okay. Um, so they thought if he didn't commit that one, then he couldn't have committed the other one because right. they're linked. But then when they looked into it further, they found out he actually had been granted a day pass outside on the day of her attack. So then he was a suspect again. But then ultimately, when looking into his whereabouts on the night of Kimberly's murder, they realized he'd been in jail that night. And so he couldn't do Kimberly's murder. So he was finally pulled out. It's got to be both, not one or the other. (laughs) Exactly. Like, because it had to have been both. Yeah. Um, With the details that were given, nobody else would have known those details. So it had to have been the caller and it had to have been both. Um, So these cases grew cold until August 6th of 1982. Mm -hmm. And the police received another phone call. And um, this is one of the last that I'll play. Fire emergency. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. So he says, please don't talk. Just listen. I'm sorry I killed that girl. I stabbed her 40 times. Kimberly Compton was the first one over in St. Paul. I don't know what's the matter with me. I'm sick. I'm going to kill myself, I think. And when she asks, where are you? He says, I'm just going to. If somebody dies with a red shirt on, it's me. I've killed more people and I'll never make it to heaven. And he hangs up. So 
Ugh, just horrible. I'm gonna have these like calls, that voice like in my nightmares tonight. <laughs> but um, so the next day after that confessional call came in, a second body was found and this body was stabbed over 100 times. Oh my God. Yeah, and she was ditched in the Mississippi River, which is right between uh, the Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. But she actually got caught in some weeds and so they were able to retrieve her body and this body belonged to Barbara Simons and she was a 40 year old nurse who worked in Minneapolis. Oh. RIP Barbara Simons, so sad. And on the night of her murder, Barbara had been at the Hexagon Bar having some drinks. And the employees of the bar who were questioned told police that they had seen Barbara dancing and chatting with this strange man all night. Um, and so when Barbara ordered her last drink that night, she told one of the waitresses, he's cute, I hope he's nice, he's giving me a ride home. And because of this, the waitress remembered to take a good look at his face and she could recall what this man looked like. And so she... Oh, thank God. Yeah. So she luckily said something to the waitress, which ultimately helped lead to capturing the guy. Yeah. Because the waitress looked through a stack of mugshots... Uh, mugshots? <laughs> mugshots, I mean. Um, <laughs> she was able to identify which one it was. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and the mugshot... Girl, that could be you. I know. Pay attention, you know, when your customers oh, say I know. stuff, you know? Exactly. So she actually helped the investigation a lot because she yeah. was the first person to identify this dude. And the person in the mugshot was none other than Paul Michael Stefani. Hmm. And so he had a mugshot because his previous conviction was aggravated assault. And they also determined that he had a history of mental illness in both himself and also throughout his family. And because of this whole situation where the killer was committing these murders and these like unpredictable psychotic outbursts and then calling police, mm -hmm. they felt maybe he was mentally ill. Interesting. Kind of reminds me of Ed Gein, how he would just go in this days like state and then, you know, yeah. go to the grave and, you know, rob graves and stuff. And then, um, he, you know, sometimes he would wake up from that and be like, dude, what I'm doing is wrong. I got to just stop and go home. That totally it's reminds so weird. me of this because he seems to just, yeah, have these like psychotic outbursts and then in a fit of rage, kill somebody and then super remorseful afterwards. Yeah. And, like, it's like he wants to be caught too. Yeah. He doesn't like what he's doing. So they thought maybe he was mentally unstable. So they start looking into Paul Stefani's background and it stood out to investigators that he actually worked at the manufacturing shop where Karen Potak's body was found. So they thought maybe he committed this crime because he knew the area. He knew it was an area where nobody was going to see anything. Mm. So they decided to put him on police surveillance. And one day when the police are surveilling his car, Paul Stefani's driving around and the detectives were following him and they somehow lost him. I don't know how, but they just lost sight of him. And he had actually gone to the red light district in Minneapolis. Okay. And he picked up 19-year-old sex worker Denise Williams. And so when he picked up Denise Williams, Stefani said that he didn't have enough money to pay her. So he told her, I'll tell you what, I'll take, I'll give you all the money that I have now. And afterwards, I'll take you back to my place and give you the rest. So she agreed with that and said that was fine. So after they had sex, Stefani and Denise did exactly that. He just took her back to his apartment and he gave her the money. 
And then he offered to drive her back to the red light district and she agreed and they went on their way. So it was on this drive back when Stefani started acting really strange. And at this point it was really late at night and dark out. And so Stefani was taking all these turns and back roads Oh, gosh, I hope Denise survives. Keep talking. Yeah. Well, one of his victims have already survived. Mm -hmm. So when Denise um, and Paul, so Denise asked Paul, you know, where are you taking me? And he claimed he was just taking the back roads because it was quicker. But Denise had been working in this area since she was only 13 years old. That's when she first became a sex worker, which is awful in itself. Yeah. Um, But because of this, she knew the area like the back of her hand and she knew he wasn't going the right way. So she started making a plan in her head. She was a smart Smart girl. girl, Yeah. Mm -hmm, Totally. Girl boss. Oh, (laughs) yeah. She was like, I I do not want to be a victim. So she was preparing for the worst, which is very smart. Um, So she knew with her size because she was very petite and he was very large. He's a like beastly looking man. He's 6'1". She knew she wouldn't stand a chance if he attacked her. Oh, so I know. That's so awful to think about because we're both like around five feet tall, right? Too, and we're, ugh, we're both so we can relate, petite. you know. I've totally felt nervous because of my stature before, or just like being a woman in general. Yeah. Like I can't tell you how many times I've feared for my safety just walking around at night. Yeah. So. I, I can't imagine what's going through her mind. Right. Um, but she sees an empty bottle rolling around on the floor of the car. And so she, in that moment, told herself, if he tries anything, I'm going to pick up the bottle and smash it on his head. Um, so then the moment she was dreading happened and Stefani pulls into a dark, isolated, dead end road. And there's no street lights, And he turns the car's engine off. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> it just makes my heart beat out of my oh. chest putting myself in this scene. I know. Oh, um, girl. So she knew this was it. And before she could even react, Stefani snapped and he pulls a screwdriver from his <gasps> side. Oh, that's the worst weapon. Oh, I know. my gosh. Not total. even like a clean cut. I know that sounds gross, but a screwdriver. And he actually just... stabs her in the stomach. <gasps> girl. Oh. Yeah. But she was able to grab the bottle and she smashes the bottle over his head, just like she planned. And luckily, this actually cut Stefani pretty badly over his eye and on his cheek. And your head actually bleeds a lot. Uh Like, we had actually somebody trip and fall at my work this past week. And (gasps) their head started bleeding. And it was so bad that an ambulance had to come. Oh, my God. I hope they're okay. Oh, yeah. They ended up being okay. But um, But the head bleeds a lot. So he started gushing blood everywhere. And it was so bad for a moment that Denise got some of his blood in her eyes and she could literally just only see like shades of red because her vision was clouded with his blood. Oh my God. Uh, I know. Oh, I so oh. she was like struggling and she repeatedly kept trying to hit him with the bottle. All while be- she was also just doing this while being stabbed m- multiple times. <gasps> oh, yeah. God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. So she's hitting him and he's stabbing her and she's also trying to open the car door all at the same time. Oh, Ugh, I just can't even picture this scene. And because of this commotion, she couldn't quite get the door open, but eventually she gets the door open and she falls onto the road. And Stefani, who is also injured, falls right on top of her and, and his big stature is like pinning her down on the road. Oh my God. Oh my God. And he's yeah. bleeding and just like Right. His blood crazy. is literally pouring out of his face from his cheek and his eye. And also 
he so they're like halfway in the car halfway on the road right and so he is still stabbing her with a screwdriver oh my god oh my god oh my god but he like made a crucial mistake because this was actually in a residential area and so a man who was in his house nearby sleeping he had his windows open because it was a summer night in minnesota which you know a lot of people sleep with their windows open Mm -hmm. um and he said he could actually hear the struggle and he could hear her screaming for help and he said that this is so gross he said that he could hear the sound of the metal screwdriver hitting and clashing against her bones. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god. I know. Oh my god. Oh my god. I keep making that like guttural noise, but I just uh. don't even know how else to react <laughs> to this, honestly. So he could hear that. I don't even know what that would sound like, but that's what he heard. And he runs outside and starts shouting at him and. Thank like, God. You know how brave know, you would have right? to be to do that? Like, because this guy's a scary looking dude, honestly. So he runs over, yelling at him and grabbing at him. And he, Stefani responds by turning around and trying to attack him with a screwdriver. So he's like, screw that, you know, pun not intended, and <laughs> runs back inside his house and calls the police. And so Stefani's like, shh, like, the I police get, are yeah. about to be here any moment. I gotta get the hell out of here. So he jumps in his car, leaves Denise on the roadway, and does a complete, you know, U-turn and gets out of there. Um, so the police come and they rush to Denise, and she had 15 stab wounds to the get this, the face, Ugh. the neck, and the chest area. Oh my god, oh my god, girl. To the face. Oh, and the neck. Oh, that's the worst. The neck, I think. Honestly, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. No, like, not at all. That's so horrible. Thank God for that man. And thank God she was so smart to grab that bottle. Oh, I know. That probably saved her because it bought her some time. So she actually, so her stab wounds punctured not only her lungs, oh, but her liver. Oh no. But the police rushed her to the hospital and she had emergency surgery just like Karen Potak and miraculously survived. Oh, thank God. I was yes. like, my fingers, like <laughs> That's please, why I was please, like, please. wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> so she survived, thank God. Oh. And she actually could remember what his face looked like, unlike Karen. She had her memory still. So... But before I digress on that, the police received another call for, with the same weepy voice. And so I'm going to play this last call. Ugh. So this call is unlike the other calls because this he's actually requesting for medical help. So here it is. So if you didn't catch that, he said, basically, I need an ambulance. He gives the address. He says, I'm all cut up, cut up. I got beat up. I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding from my arm, my face and my head. So with this call, the police were easily able to link the two incidences. I mean, this attack just happened in right. the hour. And she remembered it. Right. Yeah. And like the police lo- literally lost his car for an hour. And this happens like this guy is just a danger to society. Yeah. And so um, the victim was able to identify Paul Michael Stefani after looking through mugshots. And so with this, Stefani was finally arrested and charged with attempted murder for Denise Williams. And they're gathering more evidence to charge him with the rest um, because they were, like I said, easily able to link all of these. Right. And so during questioning, the investigators brought out the audio recordings of the Weepy Voice calls and they played it for him. 
And he had this sort of defeated look on him, like this you've got me look. And he didn't confess, even though in the calls it sounded like he wanted to be found, he didn't confess. Um, but he said, he kept, he said to say, don't think you're going to pin those on me. So he's struggling and fighting it. And interesting. Then, yeah. I thought, cause like I said, he seemed like he wanted to be kept, caught eventually. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. So anyways, um, the police eventually were able to also charge him with the murder of Barbara Simons. And she was the 40 year old Minneapolis woman who stopped the nurse. Uh, yeah. yeah. And she was stabbed after leaving the bar. So when gathering evidence leading up to the trial, police were relying heavily on those weeby voice police calls because they knew, like I said, the person who made those calls was the one who did all right, the murders the same and person. attacks. Yeah. Um, and so the voice experts came in and they said, although Stefani's voice was very similar to the police calls, they couldn't for sure without a doubt say it was the same person. Mm-hmm. And so they played the tapes in the courtroom to three of Paul's close family members, and they all identified the voice as being Paul Stefani. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so even they were like, that's him. And it's actually said that Paul's own sister, who was one of the three people, just took the headphones off after hearing the recordings, and she was weeping, saying, yep, that's my brother. So can you imagine like I if know. Jake or something was like God, Jake's my brother and we're like super so close. Tight, yeah. And gosh, like it, I can't imagine oh. the pain that she went through just having to listen to that. Oh Ugh. my gosh. That kind of reminds me of a little bit of Ted Bundy kind of. Oh, did his family get involved? Um, I don't remember. No, but well, okay, so um basically um, what they knew about Ted was that his name was Ted and that he drove a brown Volkswagen. Oh, okay. And so, you know, like, obviously Ted Bundy's close friends were like, yo, that's our friend. Well, Ted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think it was kind of like his girlfriendy type friend girl. Yeah. Um, she, she called in and said, Hey, just so you know, there's no way it's this guy, but I know someone named Ted and he drives a brown bull. See, and that's like a nice story because it just goes to show, even if you think, I don't really don't think it's this person, it doesn't. It's helpful at least. Yeah. And if anything, if they didn't do it, then they'll be cleared. So yeah, yeah, I I couldn't imagine though. It's so weird. Yeah. Imagine like the media releases like, Oh, we're looking for someone named. We we know his name's Jack, and we know he drives oh a white God. Hyundai. I would. Be- <laughs> would you call? I, I think I would honestly because yeah. at the same time I don't want to. I'd be so scared to sleep in the same bed with oh, him if I, I know. thought maybe he was a killer. Definitely, <laughs> I would if it was Joe. I would because it'd be like, oh, we know his name's Josiah, and he drives a green Kia Soul. <laughs> like that's so obviously Joe. Yeah. I'd be like, um, this is, I feel like there's not a lot of people like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely like a one of a kind situation. But yeah, so it's interesting that like you can just you just listen to your own family voice. member and and be like oh, yeah totally. that's that's him and i would you know. i'd be able to tell if it was my brother's voice without a doubt i'd be able to tell if it was your brother's voice <laughs> uh, yeah yeah totally but yeah so because of this um he was actually sentenced but he still never pled guilty so interesting. i know i thought that was interesting too um but he was sentenced to 58 years in prison and get, i just 
have to include this. So St. Paul is where the assault of Karen Potak and the murder of Kimberly Compton took place. And since this was a different jurisdiction than Minneapolis, it was St. Paul's choice as to whether or not to pursue charging Stefani with those two attacks as well. And they ultimately decided not to pursue it. And this is because they thought that without a doubt, you know, Paul Stefani was the one who did it. He was guilty of those two attacks as well. But they figured he was already sentenced and charged for the other attacks and he likely would spend his the rest of his life in prison. And they didn't really want to dedicate the time and resources and the police funding to also try to charge him for those two. Huh. Right. So it kind of sucks. I mean, Karen and Kimberly never really got justice in the eyes of the law, at yeah. least. I mean, he's going to be in prison forever, but it just feels like they didn't get justice in a way. Wait till his sister left. Um... So actually in 1997, so this is 12 years after his prison sentence, he was diagnosed with terminal skin cancer and he was given less than two years to live. What? Yeah. That's so crazy. It's like karma, you know. Oh my I mean, goodness. it's not to hear anybody get sick, but this guy sucks. So he got wow. really sick. And so he had a heavy conscience. And Wait, knowing, this was how long? How much later? This was 12 years after his oh, prison okay. sentence. So, so he really wasn't in there long, not even half the time of his sentence before well, he got really Well, at least really he still sick. had to spend the last 12 years of his life. Right. How old was this guy? Do you, you know? know? I don't... I, well, I was thinking I, I was picturing a young on. guy. Yeah, I, he, I think he was in his, like, 40s when he was doing all this. Oh, really? Play. I have his age later on, so... Interesting. But this is, so 12 years after his prison sentence, he gets sick, and he has this heavy conscience, so he knows he's going to die, and he requests to speak with the St. Paul Police Department. And he does this and he admits to each one of his crimes. Oh my gosh. And it's really disturbing. So he like talks in great detail about the attack on Karen Potak. And he was talking about how he like got in a fit of rage and he wanted to be her friend. He was saying it's so creepy. And then all of a sudden he just like grabs a tire iron and uses his whole, all of his strength to hit her on the face and the top of the head and the neck and the jaw. And he said when she was done, she was unrecognizable and he thought she was dead so it's just really disturbing hearing his account of everything um and it's really creepy because as he is doing all this he's like talking about all this with police you see him get that remorseful voice all over again and so i'm gonna play a really (gasps) short clip of the interrogation oh my god so yeah that was him saying he was saying to himself what are you doing you had a chance to make another friend he was saying to himself but he just like, this one is so casual. It. it was really weird. I know, right? Oh, I didn't like that. Yeah, so if you're interested, you can listen to more of the police confession on YouTube. It's I highly recommend it if you have time because it's really interesting. It's just, like, so creepy how his mind works. And I also have to quote this part of the... Because I watched the interrogation. or Well, it's, it's not really a interrogation. It's a confession. Mm-hmm. But he says in one part... Just like driving is a part of life and eating food is a part of life, to me it seemed like killing was just a part of life until I did it and then I drove away thinking, what are you doing? So that's what he described what it was like. 
And so he confessed to all four of the Weepy Voice call attacks, but he also confessed to a fifth victim and third murder that he didn't call the police after. So this third murder officially made him a serial killer. Yep. Um, so after killing Kimberly Compton, so it, Kimberly was his first murder. Okay. He then murdered 33-year-old Kathleen Greening. And this was on July 1st of 1982. And Kathleen and her friend Carol were getting ready for a fun weekend trip away. No. And Carol went to pick up her friend and Kathleen didn't answer the door. So Carol went inside. This just makes me sad because, like, we're best buds. I can't imagine. I was just thinking that. I was like, oh, my God, if I went to go pick you up and we're going to have girls weekend. And, yeah. Like, that's never a good sign when the door is just ajar. Like, no. So Carol lets herself in and she is looking all over the house and there's a light on in the bathroom and she stumbles upon Kathleen's dead body (gasps) and she's laying in the bathtub face up in the water. And so in this instance, Stefani actually had held Kathleen underwater until she drowned. And so he I didn't, didn't stab her. No, he didn't stab her. And he didn't call the police after. So well, this was a totally different MO. Yeah, that's interesting because one. I was going to say at first, like, how did they not link it? But uh, they. Yeah. I mean. It was totally different. Different, yeah. But he knew, they knew that this was, you know, he was telling the truth because he had details that w- were never released. Yeah. And they also found Stefani's number in Kathleen's phone book. So oh. he like must, I don't really have too many details on this murder. Might but have had a relationship or something. Yeah. Like maybe they knew each other and he like broke into her house and I don't know. So that he just wanted to be her friend. I know. Like that's the part that wants me where it's like, you had a chance to make a friend. What are you what doing? Are you doing? <laughs> it's like, do people really think like that? Cause that's what I'm going to be thinking now when I'm looking at strangers on public. Like or you never friends. know. Yeah. You never know if you're next to a killer on the bus or what? exactly and so just to finish off the story paul michael stefani died on june 12th 1998 from skin cancer at age 53 and i just have to say june 12th is my birthday so he died on my second birthday yeah oh my god so but yeah so he died in prison and i just want to say and um, this is me not victim blaming at all. Our rest in peace to Kimberly Compton and yeah. Barbara uh, Simons and also Kathleen Greening. Mm-hmm. Um, rest in peace. But please do not get in the car with strangers. Mm-mm. Like, oh, oh, I that, did once. I, you did? Are you serious, Natalie? Yeah, I did. Oh my God. I hit what happened? Once you have to like give Scotland. details. In yeah, Scotland? Yeah. Oh my God. Um, okay. Because. Joe and I went on this winter hike in Scotland. Okay. And um, we parked the car and it was freezing and snowy. Oh, And my we gosh. went on this beautiful hike in um, the fairy pools, which is like a series of like waterfalls. And it's like you have to climb up this mountain. It was oh, a, cool. It was a heck of a hike. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and, and we couldn't get the car up this hill. So we just parked the car and walked up the hill and just, and it was, you know, miles away from, yeah. from the hike. So then we, you know, we, or it was probably like a mile. I don't know. I'm being dramatic probably, <laughs> but we walked a lot to the, to the hike. Then we went on the hike. And so. Sounds uh, tiring. Yeah. And then we're walking back from the hike to the car and um, this couple it was a couple, you know, and they were like, hey, do you guys need a ride somewhere? And 
We were like, okay. So, oh my gosh. yeah, but they were really nice and they were from Italy actually. Well, thank so, God. So they were, they were already nice. tourists. Yeah. And, and yeah, I know. <laughs> I was the whole time I was like, I can't believe this is like the wildest thing I've ever done. And like, I've seen way too many scary movies to ever put myself yeah. in that position. Well, that is how <laughs> I mean, tired out I was. Yeah. I was like, to your limit. I was like, <laughs> I don't care if I die. I'm sick of walking. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> So yeah, we that's the story of how we oh. hitchhiked from an Italian couple in Scotland. Oh my gosh, I would never have the guts to do that. <laughs> well, I'm alive, so I've had too many creepy things happen to me. And we talked about maybe having an episode where we just like dish on personal creepy stories. Yeah. Because there was one time where I was closing up at the bar I worked in college and I was walking home because I lived really close by. Oh, I don't like you. And this car whipped up when I was at this stop sign and the back door opens up and there's these two or three, I think it was three guys in it. And they're like, get in the car. Oh my gosh. I know. And I just like literally started running and booking it the rest of the way home. And I, I got home pretty quick cause I live close by, but I've had too many scary experiences. That's creepy. Well, and that one night where we were out at the bar yeah. and drinking in that guy's, we were walking home and that guy started following us. Yeah. So me oh, and Natalie. It was amazing what you did. Oh yeah. Tell so the story. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so this is like a, an example of how my mind thinks. Me and Natalie were, you know, we went to a bar and had a few drinks and we're walking home, of course, because mm-hmm. you, we didn't want to drive. And the only reason we were walking home is because I lived like, super close by to the bars. Mm-hmm. So, it was a nice summer night. Yeah, super nice walk. But like my street was really quiet and deserted and kind of dark. So that was a downside. But as we're leaving the bar, you know, I'm paying attention to my right. surroundings. It's probably like 1 a.m. at this point right. is my guess. Like around bar close probably, yeah. yeah. And I look back and I see one of these creepy guys from the bar who's kind of like bugging us kind of following from a distance by himself, like separated from the rest of his group. And I lived in a street in like a neighborhood that none of the other college kids lived. I was renting like this older house and not like by the college town Mm -hmm. neighborhoods. So I was like creeped out immediately. And in my head, I thought if I just continue walking down the street and we're isolated and alone eventually, and he's still following us, like we're not going to stand a chance. Like, it's a big guy. Right. And I was, yeah, not. And you were not in, in a good, a good mindset. mindset. <laughs> right. So I was like, I need to do something now to protect us. And so what I did was I I read somewhere that you should make a big scene. Yeah. I read that too. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I like started shouting at him. Like, and I was so nervous, but I did did it. And I was saying, like, why are you following us? Like, like, what do you want from us? Like, you know, get away and or whatever I said. And this actually caught the attention of the bouncer that was standing outside of the bar. And so all of a sudden, like, people are looking over because I'm kind of making a scene. Amazing. And he gets, like, obviously kind of scared and kind of runs off somewhere. So he didn't follow us. You, like, saved <laughs> us. Because I was like, I was like, oh, whatever. We're just walking home. And I was like, Natalie, you know? like, somebody's following us. Like, uh, I'll tell you in the morning about it because <laughs> you probably won't get it. But it was it was scary, but oh, yeah. Man. And I have many more stories like that that I can delve into yeah. some other episode. But yeah, so just like be wary of the mm-hmm. people you trust and, you know, trust with your safety, yeah. I guess. And you better be 
really tired from hiking if you're gonna get in a stranger's car yes only some circumstances no wait no i don't <laughs> i don't want to condone anything how people say like oh well they said yeah no don't, <laughs> don't do that don't get in a stranger's car but yeah i have to say like after i feel like i just word vomited all that stuff that's been on my mind and now i'm like excited to listen to a nice art topic oh good well we have a history lesson today awesome i love art history i know you like history so i'm excited i hope that this isn't boring but um i think it's fascinating um but i'm gonna talk about the history of movable type or like you know just like typesetting throughout the ages typesetting throughout the ages Um, all right yeah so for you know for many years humans communicated only through verbal language as opposed to like visual or visible language as it's Mm -hmm. sometimes called so stories would be passed down by mouth from generation to generation and not really recorded in any type of permanent way so Um, big game of telephone going on. exactly yeah so um and then cave drawings were kind of the first attempt at visual language. So the earliest cave drawing was dated at around 25,000 BC. That's super old. Isn't that crazy? Can't even they wrap can, my mind around they it. can date that like I know. I I wish old. I knew the process or like the science behind that because I know. that's crazy. Yeah. So they would use like pictographs, which are just simple representations of people, places and things. Oh Noun- yeah. Nouns. <laughs> Um, so although they were very simple, they were obviously much more permanent than sound, um, as you know, much of it has survived and still exists today, which mm-hmm. is crazy to think about. Um, but around 3000 BC, the Sumerians developed cuneiform, which is a writing system that consisted of wedge-shaped forms that were carved into clay tablets and other hard surfaces. Oh, yeah. The Sumerians were super, like, sophisticated, and they, I feel like... We're responsible for jump-starting a bunch of new ideas. Yeah. yeah, totally. Which is so interesting. 3000 BC. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, the so it was like kind of wedge-shaped forms, and they were a result of using a stylus okay. um, that had kind of like triangular edges on it. So when they carved into the clay, it would, you know, make a geometric form kind of. Okay, interesting. So cuneiform was one of the first writing systems um, that was read from left to right, you know, like we do now, Mm -hmm. um, instead of like pictograms, which were just kind of like visual representations of I wonder if the pictograms were left to right, because it just seems like you would naturally read that way. But some cultures do read right to left, so maybe it's not a natural thing. That's so interesting. I, I never wondered that about cave drawings. I always just like assumed it was not right yeah i don't know it's yeah it's hard to imagine it but it's like way. that's only what we imagine just because that's just our, what we do culture, yeah. yeah exactly so that is interesting i don't know um but anyway so as time went on humans kind of needed more symbols to represent more abstract thoughts rather than just like things mm-hmm. um so that led to the development of symbols that represented like ideas and actions can you imagine like Okay, so the human mind's growing more complex. They're not just yeah. thinking food, water, shelter. Like, yeah. they're thinking more, 
you know, like con- we need conceptual, to tell, you know, our stories and thoughts. Right. And, and they're like, God, like I'm thinking these things, but I don't have a way to communicate it. We need to make a way to communicate it. That's so crazy. Yeah. I love, this and, is why I love history. I know. <laughs> and this is, and I love ancient history. I totally. It it's just so like cool. fascinates me. Um, but you are right. This was more difficult for people to understand, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it wasn't representational anymore. It was, you know, it was abstract kind of. So it kind of separated society for a while, you know, into those who could understand this form of writing and those who couldn't. Um, So when society became a bit more advanced and more complex, um, the writing had to evolve with that. So it led to letter symbols that when put together represented words, much like our alphabet today. Okay. Um, So a group of craftsmen on the Eastern coast of the Mediterranean Sea, they were called Phoenicians. they took visual language a step further. So around 1000 BC, they developed um, 22 symbols that corresponded to the 22 key sounds of their language. So their idea behind this was to connect these symbols that represented sounds to imitate spoken word, Mm -hmm. um, eliminating the need to memorize hundreds of unrelated symbols, like in cuneiform and whatnot. Right, because otherwise, you know, you'd have a symbol for bathroom, for example, and a symbol for tree. A symbol for just everything. Yeah, Yeah. it's too much to remember. So they were like, let's just do like the sounds of our actual spoken language. And yeah, I don't know. And again, it's like, that seems like a given now, but that was such an abstract concept at the time, like... At least writing it down was, you know? And so that's kind of, that's where the word phonetics comes from. Phoenicians. They were were Phoenicians, yeah. So, you know, because they were about reading things how they are said, like sounding it out. Okay. So that's how phonetics came out. Now I'm always going to think of that. Mm -hmm. So... Over time, other societies like Greeks and Romans started using this alphabet and they kind of adapted it, added more letters, you know, and um, up until the 15th century, which is crazy to think about, all books were copied by hand by Mm -hmm. scribes. And that made books like so valuable because they took sometimes decades to finish. Exactly. Yeah. So at this time... Um, in the 15th century, there were less than 30,000 books that existed all mm-hmm. throughout Europe because hand cupping books just took so much time. Yeah, it was truly like a royal gift exactly. to get a book. It's so, yeah, and it, it's so fascinating how like people couldn't even like type. I mean, like, right. I don't know. So, okay. Let's get into that, though. So in 1448, this man named Johannes Gutenberg, he invented movable type. Okay. Um, It's also worth mentioning that there's some controversy about that. Um, Some people credit um, a man named Pai Xing from China um, of inventing movable type. So um, it's up for debate. Up for debate. But I think most people agree it was Johannes Gutenberg. But I just thought it was worth mentioning the other guy just in case. And movable type is in they make the symbols almost like a printing press and can move them around and reuse them. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So what he what he did exactly was he carved the symbols, like the letters of their alphabet, into these metal punches, um, which were driven into other pieces of metal called mm-hmm. matrices. And then molten metal was poured into into the matrices, which made the actual type. So it's okay. kind of like a mold that they could pour molten metal into to make a bunch of letters interesting then those final pieces were 
fit into a printing press, just like you said. They would just take the individual letters and rearrange them, and then they could, you know, basically like stamp pages, like Still multiples. super time consuming. Super time consuming, but it was. I mean, it changed history. I mean, right. it, it was so much easier because then they could just instead of copying each page by hand, they just had to do it once with the you know the stamps mm-hmm. and then just stamp it and. That's it. More copies of books that way instead of just one original. Exactly. Okay. So the first book that he printed was the Bible. Oh, interesting. Just a fun fact. Um, So before, you know, like you said, it it took years or maybe even a lifetime to copy books by hand. And now, you know, religious texts, news, stories, information, it could all be printed like easily. Okay. (laughs) Easier. Yes. (laughs) Um, So... Then by the 1500s, um, or by 1500, there were more than 200 printing shops throughout Europe. So before it was like, you know, there's less than 30,000 books. Now there's over 200 printing shops in Europe Mm -hmm. that can produce books. Many books. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, then in the 1880s, a man named Otmar Mergenhaler, he invented this machine called the linotype machine. Which basically looks like a typewriter that's connected to like this huge and way overcomplicated like thing. Okay. So like uh-huh. actual typing was involved, but and people didn't need to like rearrange the letters by hand anymore. Oh, okay. Which Interesting. Cool. And typewriters were actually invented around the same time. So I don't know why they like bothered with this stupid line type machine. I don't know. It just it literally is like uh <laughs> like a typewriter with like a way complicated huge like a desk thing okay with like like a big organ almost is what i'm yeah picturing. yeah exactly <laughs> so anyway and there and then there were also typewriters so i was like okay anyway so um in the 1980s you know of course there was the technological um advancement of digital type and computers okay but so they were later on yeah they were so expensive though um, only professional typographers in type shops had access to that technology. So typewriters were actually standard in most offices until around 85. That's so crazy. from the 1880s to the 1980s, typewriters were used. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I just am picturing like cubicles, but with you typewriters. Like, yeah. I don't know. I wonder what it was like and how many people actually use typewriters because... Yeah. I did every house have a typewriter? Yeah. It makes me think of my mom because I remember her telling me that she remembers um, being in school and learning how to type on the typewriter and how to fix mistakes. And That's so crazy because yeah. your mom is so young. You yeah. Know? It's like so weird. <laughs> yeah. To me. My mom doesn't seem like, and I know that sounds bad, but like when I think of typewriters, I think of like uh, elderly people, but my mom's well, really yeah, I mean, old. No. And I mean, it was such a long stretch of time where mm-hmm. typewriters were how you just how you typed. I mean, right. where, you know, like right now, I'm sure it'll be a long stretch of time where computers are just how you type. It's like there's so many reasons to be grateful that I didn't grow up in the past because of, you know, a lot of other issues. But I agree, especially one, like phone, like being able to call for emergency yeah, if you need to. That's what, what I was going to say? say. That's exactly what I was going to say. Oh. Like one thing I'm super grateful for is the technology because I would be I'm so directionally challenged I like can't figure out directions for the life of me me either I, if I couldn't use GPS I don't know how I would get through 
life, life without getting lost all the time. Even when I was still working in the office, I would literally use my GPS every day just because even if you know how to get there, it's like there could be another way that saves you five minutes that or day. Or like it you know? keeps track of the time. Like, oh, I'm going to be there in 14 minutes now. Yep. But, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So, I don't or know. like just looking up things on your phone conveniently whenever you have a question pop in your head. I have like a million random questions pop in my head and I'm always searching the most random stuff. Yeah. It's uh, like, <laughs> oh, who is that lady that was on fairy tale theater in the 90s? Yeah. And then you Google it and it's like, oh yeah, Shelley Duvall. And it I would never forget that. That's but. so <laughs> random, by the way. <laughs> it makes me think of cha-cha and if people oh remember. yeah so before google was like easily accessible on your phones you could if text. you had a random question you could text cha-cha and they'll text you back the answer mm-hmm. and it was always it never gave me the right answer I feel like. yeah <laughs> we would always mess with it like yeah funsies <laughs> wow that sounds like a long time ago now that I say that out loud. It's so weird to think that, like, we didn't always have Google on our phones. I know it's like, sounds so, like, privileged to say. Kind I know, of, but, right? like, but really, I don't know, dude. It was, like, a major advancement. If we you really think about it. We have many computers that we have in our pockets now. Like, I know. If you think I, about it. I remember seeing the first commercial for the first iPhone, mm-hmm. you know? And I remember just thinking, wow. Like, can you we've imagine? To the future. Yeah, I was like, can you imagine having like the internet in oh, your yeah. pocket? And it's like, how could you even? That's a defining moment that you can like remember that. I, I thought, remember that. You know what I yeah. Mean? Interesting. I mean, you know, it was so weird. Like, we were friends before that was a thing. Yeah, I had my mom passed down her pink Motorola Razor when oh, she I got had a razor Blackberry too. for a while. Yeah, my mom got like a new receptionist job and was like, you know, Blackberries were the Blackberry. bomb at that time. Right. Like, I thought her Blackberry was the coolest thing ever. I'm like, it has a mini keyboard on it. Like, oh, And then remember when T Mobile's sidekick came out? Yeah. All the cool kids had the side, like, sideways yeah. sliding phones, I feel like. Mm hmm. Ugh. Took me a long time to get a cool phone. I didn't have a smartphone until I graduated uh, high school, actually. Oh, really? I just had like um I I like a regular cheap phone, but I had an iPod Touch that I would like connect to the internet and text oh, that's right. on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like that seems crazy to me now. It's so crazy how like typing was such a thing that was just so elite before that like yeah. people just didn't have access to be able to type because it was just so expensive. It was like seen as something you know the more higher class people in society maybe yeah have access and, and to. not even that but just only professional typographers yeah you know oh yeah true. it's so crazy and um and that's just how it was until you know um 1985 or whatever when steve jobs you know introduced the macintosh mm-hmm. computer and that was the first affordable desktop computer you know, like oh yeah, I remember those <laughs> vividly. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, well, I don't know, probably not the ones that you're talking about. I'm oh yeah, the colorful two th- early two thousand. Okay, the like, IMAX. That's what I'm thinking, yep. Yeah, no, we actually we did have a old Macintosh. It's like oh, really? those big beige, like yeah. yeah. And then you know other manufacturers like IBM and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we had an old beige IBM too. Oh, growing cool. up. <laughs> um. You know, my dad would sometimes work from home, so we did have computers in the house, but um, never internet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Just go on Microsoft Paint. Oh, yeah. That's, like, why I'm a designer, I feel like. I don't know. <laughs> Microsoft <laughs> <Totally>. Paint. Um, <laughs> started at an early age for me. <laughs> 
But um, anyway, so, you know, IBM, all these other brands started developing versions of their own, and that came to be known as the personal computers or PCs. Okay. So this made it possible for virtually anyone to set type, which is crazy. And typesetting and page layout programs like PageMaker, Quark Express, and Adobe InDesign started popping up. And now anyone can just set type on their computers at home. And now we can even do it on our phones. Sweet. So that's the history. It's just kind of a brief history of I love typesetting. history, especially art history. So, mm-hmm. And it's just nice to think about things more conceptually in a deeper way. Like just the concept of... You know, expressing having thoughts. your thoughts and like yeah having them. thoughts and figuring out okay how to visually interpret my thoughts and okay how to auditorily make sounds to interpret my thoughts and how to mix those two things together to create oh, language is so crazy language. yeah it's fascinating and it just reminds me this is kind of random but on topic at the same time mm-hmm. one of my goals in life is to become bilingual i'd love to learn either spanish or even like asl I've thought about learning. Yeah. But I just haven't had time. What did you take in high school? I took German. And and I still remember some German, like, you know. I I don't even want to embarrass myself and say the wrong stuff in German. But I know a little bit. And I don't know why I took German, though, because... I don't live by any German-speaking people, mm-hmm. but if I I run into people who speak Spanish all the time, I wish I would have learned Spanish because Dude, I could actually use it. Get the Duolingo app. That's what I've heard is good, Duolingo. Because I did that for a long time, and I swear I could, like, I, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it, and bit. I haven't. Yeah. I could, like, speak Spanish. Really? Of. Yeah. Oh I mean, it, it's, like, amazing. I would, I would just. That. In my downtime at work, at, when I was in the office, I would just, like, do Duolingo and just, like... I'll have to try that because I've also heard that just learning a second language is really great for your brain and just strengthening those connections in your brain. And, and it just makes me think, and, you know, this is kind of off topic of that, but people who immigrate over to America and speak more than one language sometimes are looked down upon. I was just going to say that. That's just because like... Because they have maybe limited English or there's a language barrier. When in reality, people who can speak two languages, even if it's at a minimum, yeah. of, you know, they are proven to be smarter and having a higher IQ than people who can only speak one because learning a second language makes you smarter. So yeah. every time I meet somebody who's uh, bilingual, I have like mad respect for them. Yeah, and whenever somebody's like, Oh, the you know Learned the nail tech speak, didn't yeah. speak English oh, or something. It's like, I hate dude, that. shut up! Like, why don't you learn Vietnamese then? You right. know, it's like that's what you're asking someone like, to do. Some you know, slack and also like, <laughs> you know, you don't know how new they are to America, right? Or even if they have been here for a long time, like. I just don't understand why people get so bent out of shape over yeah. stuff that doesn't really affect them. <laughs> I know. Uh, at least <laughs> a little offside topic <laughs> there at the end but at least we just had our election and we're, we're maybe things yeah will be better now i'm just hoping that we just i feel need a change from what's currently been happening so I, i'm hoping we get the change that we need i know there's still like so much work to do and nothing's really officially changed yet and mm-hmm. but i think we're a foot in the right direction. I think so too. We've got our first woman um, vice president. Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, that's true. I didn't even think about that, mm-hmm. but that's totally true. Yeah. So, yeah. Step in the right direction, you know. 
Yeah, hopefully uh, next week we have some more positives and no more cars, you know, blowing out their engines. And yeah, yeah we'll come back at you next week with um, an art topic. I'm doing art. I have no idea what I'm doing yet. So we'll see what yeah, I come up with. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with the dark one yet either. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But have a great week, guys. Yes. And please tune in next week and we will see you then. Yes, and please follow us on Instagram at Art After Dark Podcast and Facebook. Facebook. What else? Facebook is also Art After Dark Podcast. And also email us if you want to reach out, Art After Dark Pod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Yes, and please leave us a review on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please, it would, like, make our week. So yes. it would only take, like, a moment from you. On iTunes. We'd be forever grateful for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we will see the ghost fam next week. Yes, yeah, see you next week. Bye, guys.